This is the More to the Story podcast with Dr. Andy Miller. We hope you guys enjoyed today's conversation. Thanks for coming to the More to the Story podcast. We have a lot happening here. So thankful for all the ways that we had encouragement over the last several weeks of people who've appreciated this content and the way that God's leading us to kind of create new things, to have good conversations, to go deeper as we find out more to the story on a variety of subjects. Today, we have Pastor Roberto Stevenson coming on. I was able to go and teach with him at his church and was incredibly blessed by the opportunity to serve there and the work that God's doing through him and through his church is remarkable. So I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation of his story and what's led him to serve in Mexico. I'm thankful to sponsors who have made this podcast happen, an anonymous donor, WPO Development, and Bill Roberts. Thanks so much to those folks who have helped us there. And also, make sure if you are interested in the things that we're producing here, I need people to come on and get on my email list at andymillerthe3rd.com. That's andymillerii.com. And if you go to one of the tabs there, you can sign up for my email list. And if you do that, you'll get a link to a free four-page document that helps people think through the creative process that they go through an exegeting scripture and then taking that to a place where they then creatively present it. So I think you'll find something interesting if you're able to sign up for that email list. Thanks too for uh, those of you who maybe don't know, there are people in the background who are making a lot of this happen to Sarah Moore, who helps me with my graphics, to Jeff Bacus and Brendan Moore, who have helped me with like kind of some of the editing, to Ashley Ramsey. Um, thanks so much to all these folks who have helped me with this. And thank you for being a part of the More to the Story community. God bless you. Welcome to the More to the Story podcast. I'm glad that you come along today, everybody. I have my friend on the podcast, Pastor Roberto Stevenson. Roberto, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, people are going to love this because one of my the, the podcasts that seem to go the farthest or that people keep on coming back to time and time again are the testimony podcast. And that's what I wanted to hear from you. Now, I got to know you via, and we've only met on Zoom, but next week I'm resolving that problem. And I'm coming to Mexico City to teach a class with some of your students there. But uh, we've just had conversations just like this over Zoom. And I've been so impressed and thankful for your connection with Wesley Biblical Seminary, but most importantly, our connection in the kingdom. So, uh, Roberto, I'm just really excited to hear a bit of your story. Now, just real quickly, just tell us what you do right now, and then we'll back up and like hear your story. Okay. Well, along with my wife, we've been missionaries in um, Mexico in Mexico country, mostly in Mexico City metropolitan area for the last 35 years. Wow. Um, so at the beginning, we were street evangelists, and we had some success in planning churches. So now we are pastoring a network of churches. Right. Uh, although I don't, yeah, but I still feel like we're missionary evangelists. All right. The people in Mexico call us pastors. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and there's a, about 60 churches in your network. Is that right? Yeah, about 60 churches. Wow. And then, Mostly and then the, in Mexico, some outside. Gotcha. And the congregation you serve, what's the name of that? That The, the, uh, the kind of the, the mother church, so to speak? It's Tierra Prometida, which in English is promised land. Okay, well, let's back up. People will, will hear your accent and they'll say, well, it doesn't sound like he's only from Mexico, right? Like obviously a missionary. So tell us a little about how you came to Jesus. Um, had a praying mother. Yeah. Uh, raised in a very nominal United Methodist church, although my mom was very active. Yeah. Um, but my dad wasn't. So 
somewhere in high school between sports, I was introduced to marijuana, introduced to drugs. Uh, this was in 1969, 1970. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 that was what was happening back then. And um, went on the first year of college. Um, I think the only thing that kept me from getting sucked into the drug addiction and the drug world quicker was I, I you know, I like sports and played sports and yeah. I try to get in shape, but uh, the drugs, you know, eventually got me. And by the time I was 19, I was doing hard drugs. Um, I was introduced to people that told me I can sell marijuana. Um, and I would sell it out of the trunk of my car in the community college. And I thought I was like, I thought I was all that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I thought I really thought that I was doing good. I had um, parties. I could since I was selling the drugs, I was the life of the party. I got arrested. But it was just for just for possession of marijuana, which I think is legal in a lot of places now, unfortunately. A little opinionated yeah, there. Absolutely. And, and I did. Yeah. I got some community service and I got a few months in the county jail. But that only made like my rep in that world even stronger. You know, I've been to yeah. the county jail for six months. Then when I was 24, I was I continued to sell drugs. I dropped out of college. I just had a facade of being a university student. And um, I got uh, sentenced to nine years in the federal prison for uh, wow. interstate uh, transport of drugs. And it was a harsh sentence, hmm. uh, a nine-year minimum. And wow. I went to a federal penitentiary, and I felt wow. like my whole world ended. But, you know, this is where the conversion comes in. God had other plans. Yeah. I, um, I was two and a half, three years. I was like three years in prison, and I was a totally... Uh, crazy, totally unsaved, did everything in prison that you're not supposed to do. After I got over the initial fear, I was 24 years old Yeah, with a nine-year sentence. Um, and I, I was in a prison outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. And I got in trouble from, for with other running football pools and had money. And so I got put in the hole and it wasn't the first time I was in the hole. But this time they came in after a few weeks and they me, they were giving me a disciplinary transfer. They don't tell you where you're going. Okay. So I went, things went from bad to worse. And um, I got to say this for the testimony. And I, and they put me, they pick you up on a van, they shackle your hands, your feet, but it, you get out on the road and uh, they left us in Fayette County, K Kentucky. Oh yeah. They don't tell you where you're going. They, you can't call anybody. Yeah. And in the jail, a county jail, we were federal prisoners, so we were kept in our cells, like they say, 24-7. But I was put in a cell that had a New Testament. Oh, wow. And it was um, a New Testament. Uh, I remember it was a New Testament. I still have it. It was a New Testament of the good news for modern man with right. little drawings in it. And um, I read Mark, Matthew. I can't really say. I remember what I read or what verse. And um, after several days of reading the New Testament in the in the hole, yeah, um, I got on my knees and I said, I mean, of course, I knew about Jesus from my growing up in the Methodist church and my mom's praying for me. And um, I got on my knees and said, God, you know, if you can do anything, I'm scared. I wasn't bargaining with God like everybody does when they get put in jail. In the mm. first few weeks, everybody <laughs> says, God, if you get me out, I promise I won't drink. I promise I won't do that. And I did all that. 
Yeah. You know, heaven, the heavens are pretty silent. And I gave my life to God and there was a change, a radical change in my heart. Wow. Then in a few days, one thing I remember well, um, I, we got, we got, they came and picked us up in the, in the marshals in the van and they took us to Atlanta penitentiary. And then Atlanta penitentiary is a really tough prison. It's just like you see on, in the movies. And um, the guard, I got put in with a, a, a mafia guy, an Italian older man. And he, uh, in the cell later, I, I think he was on a witness protection. That's why he was there, you know, stuck away. And I was on disciplinary and he had a stack of these Chaplain Ray and the different books and the King James Bible. Um, and he had a stack of them over there by the bunk. And he said, yeah, I ordered all these. He said, they brought them to me. So you want them, you can have them. So <laughs> I spent a month or two in Atlanta penitentiary and I read every Christian book this guy had. Wow. You know, and, and was reading the Bible and we were also on lockdown. And um, then I realized that God had done a work in my life and I was saved. I was born again. Amen. Wow. Sorry, so, sorry, I got a little long on that one. Oh, I love it. No, that's great. So uh, obviously the story doesn't end there, uh, but now maybe this isn't a part of the story, but when we were talking one time when I told you I had been with the Salvation Army, you said that there was a couple of Salvation Army folks that came in and saw you in, in the federal prison. Right. That's when, after I got from Atlanta, I got transferred to Danbury. Okay. I had never really been in a Christian service yet. Okay. But in Danbury, of course, you're in quarantine when you're in a federal prison system. When you first move, even though I'd been in prison over three years, I, they put you on quarantine. So in the quarantine, they told me about the different services. And then, of course, as um, I went to everything. So we had um, a couple Salvation Army guys. I met them, I think, in the first Sunday service that they came in and did the service, men and women. And there was one guy that... Um, continued to write me about a year, a year and a half after I got out of prison. Oh, and my, some of those letters, I have a box, I think, in my sister's house. I was going to look to see if, to get the name for you, but I haven't been back there yet since yeah. we met. No, that's Man, good. I just can't remember. And he was faithfully, he would write some of the things I think that, I mean, he would, they were just nice guys and um, they would preach. Then I had on Wednesday night, prison fellowship came in. Right. Way back in the day, this is like 1981. Like Chuck Colson 19, himself. Yeah, I, I got to be <laughs> Chuck Colson himself. Oh, did you really? <laughs> I thought I, you're saying it so early. I'm like, it might have been like before it became. <laughs> no, no. And it you was really a special did. event. Didn't okay. really meet him, but he heard my testimony. And when I got out of Danbury, which was a miracle, he, they had an event in Washington, D.C., and he invited me to give my testimony, a short testimony. And then he put it in his you know, his monthly magazine. So okay. actually I did meet Chuck Colson and, you know, there's a lot of people that are, have studied all his books and know him and have never really got to meet him. But yeah, yeah I actually met, and so I had prison fellowship on Wednesday. I had the Salvation Army guys that would come in and they were just nice guys. I yeah. mean, I was a new Christian and it was, they were like, and, and every two weeks, um, um, apostolic Pentecostal holiness, African-American church. Cause I was in Danbury, Connecticut from New York would come. Yeah. And that was the time, man, they, they would light it up, <laughs> you know, they would, and it would, you know, we, the songs were all Jesus on the main line, tell them what you want, tell them what you want. And yeah. anybody that's done prison ministry also longs, loves those songs. So I had a year of in Danbury federal penitentiary, a little over a year, really good discipleship. 
Yeah. And of course, there was a man or two in the prison that had a couple years in Jesus. And I looked to them like very mature Christians, and they taught me how to read the Bible. And we had our own little groups. Yeah. So it was an, an intensive discipleship that, you know, we need to try to recapture that in the church. It's not easy. It's yeah. like the small groups and the bands. Yes, yes. But you're in you're in that environment. And, you know, there were, at a prison, thousands of men would come, hundreds would come out Sunday. But there was about 10 or 12 of us that we really gave accountability to each other. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't trade that year for anything. Sounds wow. weird. Wow. In prison. You know, you bring this up, and there's a famous line in my denomination. Maybe you've heard it, and you've talked about your admiration for William Booth and kind of inspiration you received from him. Um, but it's actually not not positively actually said it, but it's something like he would have said. It's called the I'll fight speech. I'll fight speech. He's like, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While little children are on the streets, I'll fight. While there remains one lost drunkard. And then, but there is this other line that is often forgotten. It's not necessarily part of Salvation Army ministry as much anymore, but it needs to be. It says, while men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. And so it, it's something to keep in mm-hmm. mind. It's something that we encourage people to do here at Wesley Biblical Seminary is prison ministry, to get out and do things. Like a lot of times people don't have places to preach um like in in their home church well i got a place you can preach right it's in the prison right (laughs) yeah when i got out i i got really quickly involved in prison ministry and um yeah but but you know the salvation army link was good they i found out later they weren't they weren't officers yet they were soldiers and yeah you know they were still going to school and they were training but you know we were talking about right before the podcast the church today we can't lose that Right. You know, the guy I was for a time with the um, with WEC and the founder CT Stud. You know, I'd rather um, I'd rather have a chapel within a yard of hell than um, no. I'd rather I'd yeah. rather have a rescue mission within a yard of hell than live within the sound of a chapel bell. Right, right. Those old yeah. guys, they had it with the rhyme. They did. They did. But, but he had that same spirit also. We we were with Weck for like three or four years. Gotcha. And he was the founder, a guy named C.T. Studd. Oh, right. Yes, yes, and his yes. heart was was similar to William Booth. Different context, different background. But, I mean, right. he went for it. So did you serve all nine years? Um, no, that's the where the miracle came in. I was now serving the Lord. I was, I was happy. Yeah. The, the gospel songs that I was learning and a couple of hymns, I would walk down the halls of the prison singing them, wow. standing on the promises of God, my savior, standing on the, send the fire. Yeah. Um, and, and those like triumphal hymns, we were singing them. And one day I got called up to the administrative office and that's always a fearful thing, even though I'm solidly saved. I'm a federal prison. This is like a medium to maximum federal prison because I had got bumped up because of my disciplinary problems. Mm. And to go to the administration office, you know, you you put the cuffs on with the chain around your waist. They take me up and the administrative warden was sort of angry, came in to see me because the guards are standing behind me. I'm standing there, you know, he he comes and sits at the table. He said, I don't know how you did it, Stevenson. He said, but... (laughs) You got an appeal on your sentence and your minimum is instead of a, a nine in the federal prison, they give you a minimum and maximum. I had a nine to 21. Okay. And they said, your sentence has been reduced from to, 
nine to 21 to three to nine. And you've been here for over four years. Wow. So I'm, so you're getting out and he gave me a, and I even said, am I going to a halfway house? Cause that's what prison jargon, you know, yeah, and he yeah. said, no, there's no time. He said, just tell me if somebody's going to pick you up, you want a bus ticket and then uh -huh. go to the tailor shop to get measured for clothes. Cause wow. obviously we're wearing a uniform for four years. Yeah. And they give you the federal county and state prisons. I don't think do it federal prison. And they give you $50. Oh, but if somebody doesn't pick you up, you have to go with the marshals like to the bus station and they see that you physically get on the bus to get out of to get out of town. Wow. And I got that. I got out of prison December 2nd, 1982. Wow. And it was a miracle. I Where'd got you that go? word. I went to my mom's house. OK. My mother and father's house outside of Washington, D.C. again. OK. My mom had. um my mom, through community Bible studies, had now radically also given her life to the Lord. She was praying more fervently for me. And um, I got involved right away in her church Okay. for about a year. I went to the pastor, and the day I got out of prison, I had the little, I guess it's called the upper room in English, the little devotional books, because yeah. they took everything else. I'm in the holding cell, waiting to go there to the, get my street clothes and get out on the street, get my 50 bucks that they were going to give me. And I, the only thing I could keep with me in my back pocket was that little upper room. I opened it December 2nd, 1982, Matthew 28, 19. Wow. And, and the guys, another point I should say, before um, I got a call up to the warden's office, I don't know, this might stretch the faith of some of your listeners, but it's the truth. Um, we're not, uh, you know, crazy um, charismatics here um, in our ministry. But one of the brothers in the um, Apostolic Holiness Church called me up to the altar on a Sunday night. This was just a few days before I got the news that my sentence got reduced by six years. Wow. And he hugged me. And I don't know his name. They were all evangelists, so-and-so, um, you know, sister evangelist, brother. Um, yeah. And he prophesied and he said, you'll be with your, you'll be with your mother by Christmas and you'll and, and God, I've called you to preach. He used the King James language. And he said, you know, I've called you to preach the gospel. And you'll preach the gospel, he told me, in another language that you do not, that you know not now. And, he's, and he gave me that prophecy first. He said, you'll be traveling on airplanes around the world. And then he said, to show that this is, thus saith the Lord, he said, by Christmas, you'll be with your mother and, and worshiping the Lord, worshiping wow. me in a church. He said it like in first person. I didn't know anything about any of that. And I was like, just like, whoa. And the guy, there was a guy in there oh, who was like our Lord. pastor in the prison. Yeah. And they, they could roll call, roll call. Right when I'm getting the prophecy, the voice comes over the microphone. So roll call, the visitors leave and the prisoners go back to their dorm. And um, Leonard Fields, who I looked up to greatly because he, he knew the Bible. Uh, African-American brother in prison who was discipling me personally. He grabbed me, put his arm around me. He said, that was great. He said, that was a prophetic word. And I'm like, what? And he said, write it down. <laughs> write everything he told you down. And I had my Chaplain Ray King James Bible with like a red vinyl cover. I still have that. The Bible's falling apart. And I wrote everything down he told me. Three hmm. or four days later is when I got the news that I'd be home by Christmas. Wow. The date I got that word was November 13th. I wrote it down. Wow.
So I had the prophecy. I got the word from the upper room, my daily devotional on December 2nd. And so I got to my mom's church and finally she got her an appointment with the pastor for me. And he heard my testimony. And now as a pastor and as you too, I mean, this young guy out of prison, I must have blown him away. I said, I'm going to be a missionary. God told me I'm going to be a missionary. I got this. I got Matthew. I thought he was going to send me as a missionary like two weeks later. Yeah. But I was still on parole. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, there's just so much, uh, Andy, that God oh, is just I love so, it. so good. Um, actually, two years later, getting out of prison, um, I, a year and a half later, I was that the pastor called me and said, we have a coffee house an evangelistic mystery ministry in the north of Mexico and the young man there and the married couple that are going as missionaries, you know, would you like to go? And I said, I don't speak Spanish. This is like a year and a half later. I was a fifth. Uh, I taught Sunday school for that year and a half with the five-year-olds. Actually, okay. I didn't teach. I was like the teaching assistant. Gotcha. <laughs> Pastor was very wise. And every once in a while I taught if the young lady who was the head of the class would, you know, go not be there. So that's right. what I did. But at that time, I did get back into some county jails. So like you said, I did get a chance to preach in that year and a half when I got out, yeah. share my testimony. But um, so a year and a half out of prison, I had to get a special permission from my parole officer to go out the first time as a missionary. I was still giving urine samples to see if I was on drugs. It was a condition of my parole. Wow. So for one side, I'm solidly, my heart's changed. I'm a new Christian Christ. But I'm still going to the, see the parole officer once a week, giving urine wow. samples whenever he asks me. And he gave me the permission for six wow. months to go to Mexico. I came back and I got in uh, Valley Forge University there in Pennsylvania to study the Bible, basically because I was in the, on the mission field and I met some missionaries that had been to a Bible college. And I was like unduly impressed. They know what Christology is and they know this <laughs> And I filled out my application while I was in Mexico. I got back. The parole officer said, you didn't report. I went and I told him he came to the college to, without telling me to see if this was true. He could not believe it. Wow. That somebody that was selling marijuana and selling uh, pills and stuff like that and was in prison was, you know, really in missions and stuff. And the day he came, they'd asked me to give a testimony in the chapel. And I tell you, Andy, I'll never forget. These are moments you don't forget. Yeah. I walked out of the chapel and I see my parole officer and hey, and he had tears in his eyes and he wasn't a Christian. Wow. He's, this, is what we, this is what we need to see all the time. Amen. And, and uh, two weeks later, I got a letter. I still had like six years parole because my sentence was three to nine. Or I had like five years parole. So he um, got me off parole early. And that's how I was able to pursue, you know, the purposes of God. But yeah. there's so much more. I mean, God is just oh, so man. good to me. So give me the quick version like of like wh where you were when before you got from there to before you got into the church planning mode. You studied well, somewhere we, else, right? You did a master's. I went into school. I Three years in that college. I continued to go back to Mexico in the summers to the north of Mexico where I first cut my teeth in missions. Pretty yeah. well, I'd learned Spanish. Uh, the last few months there in the school I met who the lady who's now my wife Amen. she had been a student in the same school but now she was going to a teacher's college to finish up and we had a really really quick um relationship uh, as far as that and and I, I graduated I only needed to go to the college three years instead of four and um 
I had committed to the missionaries in Mexico that I would go live in their house so they could do a furlough, which they'd never done. So the commitment was there before I met and was engaged to my wife, Bonnie. So I, we went out a few times. She's here somewhere probably listening and she can correct me, you know, as wives do. And I asked her to marry me. Yeah. Before right. I be, but I said, I have a commitment from July to December. I have to be back in Mexico. I told the missionaries I would live in their house and keep a watch on things the best I could. And so I got engaged. We got engaged like in June, bought her the ring. And July I left, which was actually a good engagement. There wasn't a whole lot of temptation, you know. <laughs> there wasn't, but think about this. There wasn't even emails, much less right. WhatsApp, FaceTime, Zooms. So we, you know, we did the letter writing thing. Yeah, sure. The, the ladies in the post office in San Luis Potosí, Mexico would were started mocking me because I go in every day with a little letter and put the stamp on and mail it. <laughs> and I came back in December and we got married January 2nd. And um, pastor had given me good advice that uh, getting married, I should take a year from full-time ministry. And soon after that, um, some leaders of the church came and said, there's a man that has, uh, doesn't want to be known, but he's paying your full ride to go to Fuller Seminary, the School of World Missions. Wow. Which in like 1986, Fuller Seminary was like, and the yes. School of World Missions, Donald McGavran, and it was like the cutting edge in missions, Robert Kraft and Dean yeah, Gillian. Sure. You know, they were prideful, the fact that they had all the, and so then we went to Fuller for a year. Um, we were accepted as WEC missionaries during that time. Okay. World Evangelism Crusade. One year after getting married to the day, we flew into Mexico City to become part of a church planning movement as submitting to Mexican leaders and Mexican brothers. Wow. That was in January 1989. Amazing. Wow. Okay. And then I want to make sure I get the story in. So then you had an interaction with a Catholic priest who became a evangelical Christian. I mean, I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to, you know, put people against each other but that was a part of the story and that's a part of the story of the movement that you're a part of so give us that i know we're running out of time but i want to get it in <laughs> yeah i'm sorry i get i was I just love gonna, it all well the part I, it's two hard maybe. to give a brief version of i just god is just really good andy all the glory would be for the lord absolutely and everything i've said the older i get the more i said lord let me be like john the baptist you know i gotta decrease and lord you need to increase in my life yeah, or it's yeah. not going to be good. Um, in 19, we had some success, my wife and I, with church planning with that movement. Yes. And we stayed with them for four or five years. We were able to actually start a church plant from nothing in a really, really rough neighborhood where we lived. We had that incarnational mission philosophy. Yeah. You know, we live like the people. We then obviously got rid of our car and we lived in like the projects and, you know, this is what our, our goal was and still is, still is even after all these years, like a simple lifestyle. There's right. another Salvation Army tenant. There you go. Amen. Yeah. And we, we really believe that strongly. There's a balance with your family. So we're out preaching on the street. We had a couple churches, one church up and established, and then we're starting a new church and our our thing was getting out where the street markets are. You'll see them when you get here. They're called tianguis for those who know Latin America. And they set them up one day, Monday here, and Tuesday in another neighborhood. And they, they're moving markets. And so our philosophy for a couple of years, I bought speakers and I had a 
a Volkswagen car battery to hook the speakers in. And if we would do, um, we would put Christian music on. Yeah. And the idea was loud, you know, and get people. And then we'd have a microphone hooked into the speakers. And I would tell the young guys with me, when you get like 20 or 25, you uh, give them, they start to testify. Okay. Three minute testimony. So we've been doing this and we've been getting it better because we were doing it for a couple of year, couple of years, like two or three days a week. I mean, I guess um, we were we were Wesleyans in Salvation Army, <laughs> Salvation Army from the 19th century. Let's go to the yeah. Oh, you need so we're out there doing it, and then I would usually take her the younger guys. It was a good chance for them to learn to preach, give us give testimony, give a salvation message in 10 minutes, yeah, or nine minutes, and we'd even stand up. We'd have like a little wooden box so we could stand up to be just a little bit above, and we got some hard times on one of these things. A Catholic priest shows up. There's about 50 people around, like in a circle, if you can imagine it. See this white guy preaching in Spanish and the music. And I think that day I had a young couple that were from some church and they did mime ministry. So they that even got more people, you know, where yeah. they, they yeah. do like a Christian mime out on the streets. And man, I saw the priest and he was dressed as a priest and I got nervous. And I got to the end of where you talk about repentance and he started to applaud me. Interesting. And I went over and introduced him. He said, we need, you need to teach my church this. I couldn't get it because of my years in Mexico. Catholic priest is against us. Right. You know, they don't like us. Um, it's us and them. And, and we exchanged phone numbers and little cards. And he called me a day or two later and invited me for breakfast. And 10 minutes into the breakfast, as he's sharing who he is, I said, this guy is solidly born again. He's still a priest. Mm -hmm. He had had an experience with God. Yes. And he was been reading the Bible now for about four years. And um, it was that was 93. It was three years later that he finally renounced the, as they were pressuring him. He renounced the Catholic Church. OK. But for those three years, he did a lot of good. Yeah. Because he was preaching the gospel, you know, in, in the mass and stuff. And he really was. And then I became his friend in those three years. Um. And, and, and I sort of got it on the one side from some evangelical Christians that couldn't believe why, right? you know, I'm associating with a Catholic priest and I went to their thing and taught class on evangelism and stuff. And why on the other, you know, and then on the other side. So I was sort of, we were like, but I knew this, he was real and he eventually left the Catholic church, became my mentor until he died. And before he died, that we went through sometimes a revival with him, incredible revival mm. um and and you know we probably have to do a part two yeah it's you asked so me how i was converted and i i went and that you know the half of it that the half, everybody has this testimony it's incredible and when you think about it and you reflect it's like whoa you know sometimes we don't feel like today god is with us or he's not leading us or where are you lord and when we do this like we're doing now with you we see that God has just led our paths every step of the way, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Roberto, thank you so much for taking time with us on this. And we will, we'll have to come up with another time. We'll have to have you on again. I'm excited to come down. I'm going to be, by the time this podcast comes out, 
I will have already, you know, come and gone from being around you. And maybe that will give me a, a good opportunity to ask some better questions uh, after I see the ministry myself there. But we thank God for the work he's doing through you. You're a WBS board member, actively involved in the Academic Affairs Committee and all these type of things, and hopefully teaching adjunct for us at some point here in the future too. So we're really amazed and thankful for that, that God is still doing these type of things. And I think we are all challenged and encouraged by hearing from you today. Thanks so much for coming on, Roberto. Thank you. And then uh, once again, I apologize for um, talking too much. No, it's exactly what we wanted. I, I so okay. appreciate it. <laughs>